Praise the Lord, one. If you'll turn with me to the book of John, chapter 4. I'll begin reading verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou being a Jew ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And I want you to notice verse 4. He must needs go through Samaria. I don't know what the title of my sermon tonight. Maybe Detour would be a good title. I'm not good at titling these things. I want to preach to you for a little while tonight about how Jesus goes out of his way to find the people that are in need. He must needs go through Samaria. Lord bless you, you may be seated. Before I begin tonight, let me say what a great honor it is to be here. It's good to be home. And I... I want to say how much I enjoyed the service this morning and the move of God. And Brother Jay, I enjoyed um, what my brother had to say today. And that was an incredible passage of Scripture. I, my fingers wouldn't type fast enough to write it all down. <laughs> I tried, but I just couldn't. I forgot to bring my iPad and trying to do that on a telephone is just a little tedious. <laughs> I kept missing the buttons. But it's such an honor to be here tonight. And I, uh, I just want to share with you some things that the Lord has caused me to think about over the last month or so. I get in kind of a rut at times. I'll start studying a passage of Scripture and get hung there for quite some time. And, and then after I've exhausted it, I'll find another one. But this is one, of, this is not the passage, but the entire book of John has become an incredibly interesting book to read over the last few months. As I read the book of John, I have to understand that when John writes this letter, or the story of Jesus, 
He does it from a different viewpoint than everybody else does. It is written 60 years after uh, Jesus has died and uh, arose again. This led our story of Jesus' life. It's not something that happened immediately after Pentecost and John desiring to write the story of Jesus writes to us. Actually, at the time of his writing, every other apostle is dead. He's the only remaining disciple or the apostle that is living at that time. He's an old man, probably 80, 85, maybe 90 years of age. He was the youngest of the disciples, so it was easy for him to outlive all of them. But as John writes about Jesus, he just says things that others don't say, that if you just read over them, you will miss the point. He, he just gives these little statements to let us know that there was a reason for everything. Jesus did not say, I need to go to Samaria. Jesus never declared to the disciples that I need to go through Samaria on the way home. John, writing about this event, says he must needs go. That is not Jesus' statement. That's John's statement. John is understanding that Jesus had a destiny at Samaria and there was a reason for him going by there. To go to Samaria made the journey incredible difficult. He is in the Jordan Valley, which is some 12 to 1,500, in some places 1,800 feet below sea level. The closer you get to the Dead Sea, the deeper that valley is. And if the ocean had the ability to get there, it would be nothing but an ocean. To get from where he's at, Galilee. He had to climb the walls of that valley and they are steep cliffs on either side that are almost vertical and in some places it's straight up 12 to 1500 feet. So to get out of the Jordan Valley it required a lot of effort and in climbing out of that valley to get to Samaria by the time he gets to the well, he is so exhausted, he can't take another step. So he decides to remain as the disciples go into the city to find something to eat. It's the sixth hour, according to John, which would make it somewhere in the late afternoon. By the time John writes his gospel, Israel has been destroyed. There's no longer a Jerusalem, and so time is no longer by the Jewish calendar, but it's now by the Roman calendar. And so everything that John mentions in reference to time or date are connected to the Roman world, not the Jewish world. And so he, he speaks about the fact that this was an all-day journey. Where he's at, it's probably 30 to 40 miles from the Jordan River. So to get here by 6 in the afternoon, they had to have 
uh, started early in the morning and the climb would be exhausting coming out of the Jordan Valley and finally getting to the plateau that they can now begin to travel a little easier. They make their way to this place that John lets us know Jesus had a destiny. There was a need for him to be here. He must needs go through Samaria. The day that it happened, John had absolutely no clue like the others and actually arriving back from town was quite concerned that their master was sitting at a well talking to a woman. If there was anything that would have caused a lot of of rumors and conflicts with Jesus being alone at this well with this woman. When John returns, he's not happy. None of the disciples are happy. And they begin to murmur among themselves. But when John thinks about it as an old man, thinking about what he remembered happening that day, it dawned on him that There was a purpose for this visit. What is the purpose? Jesus gives this little lady revelation that he gave to nobody else. He says some things to her that nobody else was ever allowed to experience. He offered her Pentecost before Pentecost ever showed up. If thou knewest who I am and what I have to offer you, I would give you the gift of God. And that was the same gift that Peter quoted on the day of Pentecost. And for Peter to quote it, he had to get that information from this lady after Jesus had a conversation with her. These disciples are so impressed with the fact he has this conversation that apparently they investigated and interrogated to find out what did he tell you. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, Peter preaching that day quotes this lady when he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive The gift, it's the same gift that Jesus used. And the only time Jesus used the word is right here to this lady. That lady was so important to Pentecost that if he hadn't gone by there, Peter's message would be lacking. Now, who is this lady? We don't know. But we do know a little bit about her because John tells us what happened. And the only way for John to tell us what happened that day, he had to ask the lady, what did Jesus say? They're not there to hear the conversation. When John writes, he must needs go through Samaria, it lets us know that there was more to this story than meets the eye, that this was one of the most important meetings that Jesus would have in his ministry, and it's at the very beginning. He shows up here to this well. 
that Jacob dug. I tried to find where this well come from. After doing a lot of study and trying to find the exact location, all I can tell you from the little bit of information that we know is that this well is really not a well. It is simply a hole that Jacob dug in the ground trying to find water, but he never found water. He never got far enough into the ground to tap into the aquifer that flowed through the region. So there's really no water here other than water that falls from the rain and runs off the mountain down into the valley and eventually fills this well up in the spring and the fall of the year, and that's the only time it gets water. It's a well that Jacob dug to stake out his inheritance, to say, I have returned home and this belongs to me. Jacob had spent 21 years at the house of his uncle Laban, who actually became his father-in-law. And after 21 years of having a promise and a birthright with nothing to validate, he had either of those, that any of those were possible. He finally goes home to the place that God promised to his father and his grandfather and he goes home to stake out his territory and lay his claim that I am a son of Abraham and I claim my promise and my promise is this land. So he bought a piece of property from some Philistines or some Canaanites and dug a well to let everybody know he came to stay. Now that well was a, a well of contention because it made the Canaanites and and the Philistines and everybody that was around, it made them uncomfortable because here's this Hebrew that everybody knew about. And he's, claim, he's come to claim his territory and to stake out his rights that I have come for my inheritance. And so he digs this well to identify this spot as this belongs to me and I'm here to claim my territory. I wonder if that might not be some of the reasoning by why Jesus went to that very well to stake out his territory. He came to stake out his territory and to let the world know what he really came to do. He didn't come to save the saved. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. He came looking for the lost of life looking for people who had no purpose and, and had no hope for tomorrow, people whose lives were wrecked. That's the one he came for. And he came and staked out his territory at this well. And he sat here watching this woman come. He knew she would be there because he knew the day and the morrow at the same time. Almighty God dwelt inside of that body. And it's Almighty God showing up at that well that day. It's God incarnate, God in flesh. And John identifies who he was in the beginning of his letter when he says that, that when the Word was made flesh, 
and dwelt among us. It's, it's the Word that's setting at this well. It's the God of eternity setting here at this well, letting this little lady know, I've got a gift for you, and if you'll just partake of my gift, you will never thirst again. I, I have something to offer you that can change your life and the life of everybody around you. Now, she wasn't the ideal person to stake your territory on. She was the outcast of her world. When Jesus walked into the world, he did not come into a world looking for him. He didn't arrive on the scene where people were anticipating his arrival. They're not looking for a Messiah. They're not interested in a Messiah. Matter of fact, the high priest let us know that it's better that one man die for the nation than that the whole nation would die. So they were willing that Jesus would die so that Rome would not give them any problems. They weren't looking for a Messiah. They had no need for a Messiah. When Jesus shows up, the Jews are not interested in what the Word of God says. They're not interested in, in, in what God had written in His Word. They're more interested in what rabbis might say about His Word and, and which rabbi said it and how he interpreted it. So they weren't looking for the Word to give them direction. They were looking for man to give them direction and for man to try to tell them this is how you should do it or, or this is what Jesus or God really meant when he said it this way. And they didn't read the Bible to find out what the Bible said. They just listened for what rabbis might say about what the Bible really meant. Kind of like our day, isn't it? See, your world's not really looking for Jesus to come again. Matter of fact, I, I really wonder how many of God's children are actually looking and anticipating His return and, and, and longing for the fact that He might come back. Our, our world's a whole lot like theirs. Jesus walks into this world and John says He must needs go through Samaria. There, there's a purpose for him being here. He's got to meet this lady at the well because she pays plays an incredible key to the health and well-being of the church. She changed the outcome of her world. Jesus starts a conversation with her. Do you think Jesus was unaware of who she was and what she had to say? See, Jesus is God in flesh, so... God is timeless, and if God is over here and over there at the same time, and he's omnipresent, and he's where you're at and where I'm at at the same time, don't exist. Jesus was never caught unaware. John, in chapter 8, said that, that early in the morning he went to the Mount of Olives. That's, that verse plays no role in the rest of that passage of Scripture because the next verse says, and then early in the morning he went to the temple. He just went to the Mount of Olives. He let us know. 
There, there was a purpose for him going there. And so John writes to let us know not the history of what Jesus did, but the purpose behind why he was doing things. He shows up here because he is coming to claim his territory, and that's the humanity that he created, and it's his desire to connect to the lowest of them, not the highest, but he starts with the lowest so he can reach from the lowest to the highest. Her and Jesus start a conversation. See, Esau didn't think that this place was important enough to even stake out territory. Jacob comes back and says, this is what God promised us, and this is what I claim. And so he began the process of staking that territory out. And so Jesus began staking out that territory and The woman says to him, Sir, you don't have anything to draw with. The well is deep. It's 150 foot deep. It's deep. How are you going to get water out? You're going to give me living water? Jesus answered, or she says, Art thou greater than Father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Not only shall he thirst again, but the odds are incredibly high he'll get sick. It's not fresh flowing water. It's not clean water. It is not pure water. It's runoff. It's like waiting for the rain to happen and going out to the street here with a cup and getting a cup of water out of the gutter and drinking it. There were a lot of little one-cell animals living in that water. And if you drink it, you were in trouble. But Jesus was willing to be sick to let this lady know Whatever life has reduced you to, I will step down here with you and I will partake of whatever life has reduced you to. I will get down to your level. You don't have to climb up to mine. You don't have to get to where I'm at. I will find you at the lowest part of your life and I will come as low as you are so that I can bring you up to where you can be as high as I am. If you're willing to drink water that's infested with disease, I'll drink it right along with you. And But, I, I, lady, I, I have something better to offer you. The drink that I give you, the water that I will give you, you'll never thirst again. The woman says, oh, give it to me. I'm tired of this well, and I'm tired of being sick. Just give me some of that water. She's hungry. She's desperate. She's tired of humility. She's tired of being made fun of and ridiculed and becoming the spectacle of her society. How do you know that? Because Jesus identifies her problem and he tells her about her problem. See, she was first of all cautious because she's afraid. She knows he's a Jew and he's a rabbi. 
And knowing that he's not only a Jew but a rabbi, what is? What are you doing talking to me? I, I'm a, are you come to humiliate me as well? Are you going to make fun of me? You're going to ridicule my failures and all my problems and all the things that I've done. God has never drugged your past up and rubbed your nose in it. God will never do those things. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The literal translation is the gospel has never made me blush. God will never use your failures to you, harass you or embarrass you or intimidate you or make you feel worthless because he doesn't operate like that. He's more concerned about getting you out of the embarrassment than embarrassing you. He's more concerned about making your life better than making your life worse. And he wants the best of life for you. And so he's trying to get her up a little higher. And, and the, the woman begins to talk to her and says, he, he said to the woman, sir, or she says, sir, give me the water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said, go call thy husband and come hither. And I'm sure she immediately recognized I'm in trouble because shame had to show up at that time. Jesus attacks the most sensitive area of her life. And he questions that area. And he says, go bring your husband. And the woman answered and said, I, I have no husband. And she was honest about her life. She didn't lie about it and she didn't try to cover it up. And that's all Jesus was looking for was her honesty about life and not her denial. Jesus said, Thou sayest well that I have no husband, for thou hast five husbands, and who, whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that sayest thou truly. I can't imagine what that woman thought when he said those things to her. So here's the problem. She had absolutely no control over none of this. A woman could never divorce her husband. She had no right of divorcement. If he did something she didn't like, and maybe he committed adultery, she still couldn't divorce him because she had no rights. The only reason she might divorce him is if he left Judaism and started practicing some pagan ritual or worship and became connected to a pagan religion, then she could divorce him. That's the only condition. This is a woman that had been thrown away by five men who found her to be worthless, who, who didn't see any value in her, that, that got tired of her and sick of her and, and, and decided they didn't need her anymore. And so they sent her home with her dowry and her dad had to find another man and he took her for a while and then he sent her home with her dowry and dad found another man and he sent her home with her dowry and dad found another man and he sent her home with her dowry and dad found another man and then he sent her home with her dowry but apparently dad's now dead. So she now becomes connected to a man that's not her husband. Life was a wreck. The woman wasn't insulted by his statement. 
she had revelation as a result of his statement. And she says, I perceive that thou art a prophet because you know more about my life than anybody. How did you, you got to be a prophet. And then she starts asking questions about worship. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and you say at Jerusalem, where ought men to worship? Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jew. But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such. The day cometh, and now it's when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit. Little s, not big s. Spirit, not the Holy Ghost. It's your human spirit. You're going to worship God in spirit and in truth. There are only two scriptures in the Bible that address the human spirit. One is in the book of Proverbs. The other one is in the book of Corinthians. Solomon says, no one, no one or the, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching the inward parts of the belly. Paul said, no one knows the man but the Spirit of the man. The only conclusion you can draw from those two scriptures is that your conscience is your spirit. And God placed a conscience in every human being and it's connected to him and it's part of you that you can't turn off. You can't shut your conscience off. If God wants to step in your mind and start preaching, you can't turn him off. He has access to it. And he'll preach to you if he wants to. You're going to worship with your conscience and with truth. And that's what she was doing. Jesus identified to this lady that you are the kind of person that God is looking for. The Father seeketh such. You want to know what gets the attention of God? You want to know where God runs to or where God starts looking when he sees somebody get their conscience involved with the truth in their life and the instant they get those two together and start worshiping without denial, without lying, without all the junk and get truth there and they get their conscience involved, he immediately starts trying to find you. He's going to find where you're at and instantly he will be with you. He gave her a revelation about what God wants to do for the church of the future. And she doesn't even have a clue. She's getting a revelation. She is just so enthralled by what he's saying and, and, and what is happening to her that she begins a change that takes place in her life. She says, I know that Messiah cometh, which is Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus replied to her, this is John saying it, Jesus answered unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. In the literal, or actually in the Greek translation, there are two words used here. They are ego, I me. 
They are in present tense. They're not future tense. They're not past tense. It's the simplest of the Greek language. Ego, I mean. You can't parse either one of these words because they are in their original way that you would actually write the word. They need no parsing. They need no interpretation. And when she said, the Messiah comes, and he's going to tell us all things, and Jesus has just told her all things, so she's connecting the prophet and the Messiah. You're more than a prophet. You've got to be the Messiah. And she asks, are you the Messiah? And Jesus answers her, ego I me, which literally translates, I am. She asked to see the Messiah, and he said that the Jehovah of the Old Testament, the I am of the I am, that when Moses said, who do I say sent me? He said, say that I am has sent me. Ego I me has sent me. And when Jesus was asked, and he's, this lady is the only one he gave that revelation to. He didn't give it to the disciple. He gave it to this lady. When she said, are you the Messiah? He said, no, I am God in flesh. God is standing here pointing, talking to you today. And God knows where you're at. And I, I understand your problems and your issues. And upon this, the disciples come. They, they're, they're approaching. And as they're approaching, they start murmuring among themselves. And, and they see the woman and, and they're asking questions. They marveled that he talked to the woman. Yet no man said, what seeketh thou or why? Talkest thou unto her? But they're, think, they're, they're questioning each other. What's he doing? We leave him alone for an hour and come back, and he has destroyed his reputation. We knew he was tired, but surely he wasn't this tired. You know, his family accused him of being moonstruck. They, they accused him of losing his mind. The disciples were thinking the same thing this day. Does he not have a clue what will happen to his reputation if this lady goes to town and tells any of those people what he has been doing? But notice what she did. She then left her water pot. And went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ. And they went out of the city and came unto him. The whole city came out. The encounter she had with Jesus that day was such a transformation that the little lady that had come to that well, beaten down by life, humiliated by people, made fun of by everyone, walked away with her head up and walked into town without one ounce of shame, without her past attached to her because she didn't drag her past home. She left that water pot at his feet. And when she got back to town, she converted the entire town. 
I'm here to tell you tonight, God don't need your testimony to change people's life. If you don't leave your testimony at the feet of Jesus, you will never convert your world. Your water pot needs to remain protected so nobody can drag it up and accuse you and, and belittle you or, or, or humiliate you because of junk that's happening in your life. There is a safe place to leave your past, and it's at His feet, and you better learn how to leave it there. But if you can leave your past there, you can walk into your world, and no matter how humiliated or degraded or worthless you may have become in life, when you walk away from that place, you'll be a different person. You'll walk away with a revelation that He came just for me. 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 John's trying to let every one of us know that if you was the only sinner in the world, He would have come just for you. Just like He came just for for her. And this lady began the church. It's like he reached in to the future and grabbed Pentecost and drug it to that day and allowed that lady to experience the transformation of Pentecost three years before it happened. Why? Because he just needed to go through Samaria. And I, after this morning's service, I'm here to tell you he needed to go through 1655 FM 528 this morning. And he had a destiny here today. And that destiny can change lives. And it doesn't matter what life has done up to the point that it needs to be changed. From the point that you encounter him to the future, if you're just willing to get rid of the water pot and leave it at his feet, you can walk away and your life will be changed forever. Because he collects water pots. See, if your past is at his feet, there's no enemy can go get it to remind you of it. There's no devil that can drag your past up and say, you remember what you did last week or last month? There's no devil that can humiliate you and make you feel worthless, that you're nobody and you can never be successful and you'll never do anything right. There's no devil that can wreck your life because it's protected at the feet of Jesus. Now, you keep dragging the water pot along, then the devil has access to everything in it. But if you'll learn where you can leave that water pot, there is a safe place that it will never become the fall in the hands of an enemy or, or somebody that wants to make your life worthless. You will get a revelation. He'll introduce you to a future that you never knew you could have. Please stand.